the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 226. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Artemis. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of June 18th through July 1st. We have a total of three books to cover, just a little bit of news, including solicitations. So let's just jump straight into that. So solicitations came out for the month of September, and as we already had heard, there is a number of solicitations in regards to the one-shots that were announced for the evil versions of Batman that are coming out of the dark multiverse, uh, Scott Snyder's event that is, is starts in August, but uh, the one-shots begin in September. Also, we learned that the three-part crossover Gotham Resistance includes Teen Titans, Nightwing, Nightwing and Suicide Squad, which we already knew. Um, there's word that that actually could carry over into October as well for those titles, um, but we did not actually get confirmation because obviously we only got solicitations for the month of September. Uh, for whatever reason, they they advanced solicited the second or the third issue of Dark Knight's Metal for some reason. It comes out the second week of October, but for whatever reason, they chose to make it orderable in September. I don't know why. Uh, Moving over into Batman, the second interlude was added to the War of Jokes and Riddles, which which means that the issue that was solicited as number 29 is now moving over to number 31. All-Star Batman will stop being published with number 14, as we talked about last episode. Another title coming to an end is the Batman Shadow as the miniseries reaches his issue six, which we already knew. Uh, the biggest news for the main Batman title, though, is the return of Tim Drake in Detective Comics number 965. The story will probably be tied to Action Comics as Mr. Oz will be coming out of the shadows in the story arc entitled The Oz Effect, which will be in Action Comics number 987. As Action Comics draws closer and closer to 1,000 issues, Getting which close. will occur next year, that's one thing that uh, clearly I'm wondering if that has something to do with the tie-in to what's happening with the Watchmen stuff. I I have to wonder if it has something to do with it because September is 987. If they continue publishing issues from there on out, I think they'll be, it'll be like July of next year, I believe would be 1000. So that's like right at San Diego too. So one issue, 1000 is going to have 1000 variant covers. Mark my words. Oh my gosh. That would be insane. Maybe a hundred. I, I don't even want to think. Like, I don't even want to think uh, about something like that. Insane. I don't know that's how because you're a completist. I am a completist, but I don't want to have anything to do with 1,000 variants because eventually Detective Comics will reach that milestone too. We're not that um, far away, are we? Yeah, about they're, they're about like I think enough. I think it's like a year and a half from the time Action Comics will get it. So, um, about two and a half years or so. Yeah. So anyway. Um, all the titles will be tying, tying into the Metal Crossover will be finishing up their arcs before the start of the event. The Nightwing uh, Spiral arc will be finishing with the third part. Kill Your Darlings will be ending in Suicide Squad with an oversized anniversary issue. And Harley Quinn will also be getting a special, but for her 25th anniversary, not in the main series. Um, it'll be a one-shot. Over in the regular title, the backup stories 
or the second feature stories, however you'd like to refer to them as, by Paul Dini will no longer be published going forward in the pages of Harley Quinn. Um, lastly, Batman Beyond will have a special one-shot featuring one one-shot meaning special one shot arc meaning just one issue arc uh featuring the back roll of beyond of the beyond universe um artist fernando blanco will be taking over in batwoman as james tanyan will be uh no longer with the title come september as his last issue is in august so we have the full list of all the solicitations on the website as well as a number of the highlighted cover art we chose to feature on uh, from September as well. So be sure to check out all of the solicitations over on the site. All right. Also, as far as other news goes this week in the Batcave, uh, there's two new articles as usual uh, to check out over on the site. Some of the highlights from the this week in the Batcave, uh, there was actually a comparison of two covers, one from Batman number 441 and the other cover of Batman 965, which will be, which is an homage to Batman 441, which has uh, Dick Grayson holding Robin costume. We t- we talked about this a little bit last episode, um, but the but the comparison is there. Also, uh, there's more art from Sean Gordon Murphy's solo project. Um, it also is rumored that he is going to be announcing sometime this week, which means by the time you're hearing this, it could have already been announced. Uh, his actual solo project and how it's going to take place. So be on the lookout for that. Um, over on the 26th, there was a couple of new things that popped up as far as uh, as part of the This Week in the Batcave. There is a project by Enrico Marini, uh, who is a French artist. He has a he is doing some sort of Batman project. It, we don't know really know exactly what it is, but it's going to be released in both America and in Europe in two separate formats. Um, one might have some sort of bigger pages. It might be like a bigger type book. Um, we do have a piece of art that he had. Uh, he's very detail oriented uh, when it comes to architecture and things like that. He is humongous in the European market. Um, so even though he has not done anything that has made him super popular here in the States, this could actually be the project that catapults him into even further beyond where he's already at. So there's a project and it's a partner between a publisher called Dar Dar God, which I believe is a French publishing company and DC comics. Um, It wasn't officially announced on DC side, but uh, the Dar God uh, publishing company announced it on their end and released the initial art. So you can take a look at that. I have to say extremely interesting art. It looks amazing. I am going to be on the lookout for that. Um, Then some other highlights. There was um, a Joker piece of art released by Sean Gordon Murphy, possibly detailing something that is going to probably happen with this project. We don't know for sure. Um, There's also uh, uh, Jessica featured a number of the artists that are going to be focused on the Dark Knight Metal one shots uh, to, to try to show off some of the Batman art that they have worked on in the past. So you can take a look at that. And also, finally, the last bit is uh, Raphael Albuquerque released a backroll promotional image for Comic-Con International uh, that will be featured on uh, T-shirts that will be sold at the event um, since that since he and Hope Larson are Eisner nominees 
for their run on Batgirl. So he has this exclusive shirt that uh, he designed as well. So you can take a look at that. The only other thing I really want to quickly mention is uh, Trevor McCarthy did uh, release some of the art for the upcoming Nightwing New Order uh, series that he has uh, with Kyle Higgins. And turns out, I guess, in this futuristic Elseworlds version, the Batcave has become a museum. And the museum is visited by tons of tourists all the time. And it's actually a really cool image because you can actually see the Batcave. And I, I always really love splash page size uh, Art, yeah. images of, of the Batcave. It's really cool. So take a look at that as well. So with that, that is all the news from the past two weeks. So we're going to jump straight over into our comic book reviews. And our first book is All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman, The First Ally, Part 2. Writer, Scott Snyder, Art Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, This story opens up with Alfred commenting on the often discussed, well, at least on this podcast, often discussed, clone protocols for Batman, and reveals that Bruce has also made an Alfred protocol uh, to make sure he lives on, in a way, looks like the computer system uh, in the future. Um, Then back to where we ended last issue, with Bruce making his escape from the building, um through the top, only to find that the waters uh, have a lot of crocodiles, the same between him and Alfred's boat. We then start to have flashbacks at this point of Alfred back to his father, who was always serving the Waynes and never at home, and even didn't make it home on time for the death of his mother because he was busy taking care of the Wayne family. Uh, Back to the present, and we got Great White, uh, Penguin, and friends have saved Batman from the crocodiles. Um, They know it's Batman because they've seen through his quote-unquote as Penguin put it, bad Bruce Wayne disguise. Uh, we discussed the Genesis engine was supposed to be able to rewrite things on a molecular level. Hush wanted it so he could actually turn himself into a real copy of Bruce Wayne. And Great White likes the idea of making monsters. Um, and so this is kind of genetic manipulation machine. So Penguin gives Batman a clue about where to find it. Uh, we then see Alfred's career in the service in the SAS, um, which is, I mean, he's a hardcore a soldier in this one, a Royal Marine. Um, and he wants to live a more important life than his butler father. Uh, a man named Briar shows up and makes an offer to Alfred to give him more of a meaning to his life. Uh, back to the, to, to the present, and Batman goes to this um, super secret sub that holds a super secret casino uh, where the Genesis machine is at. Uh, the, killer, uh, the killer night guy shows back up from the last party. He's already here. Uh, they do fight. He gets the upper hand on Batman as he's had the sub already rigged to blow, making the whole thing look like an accident. Uh, back to the Alfred flashbacks, and we see Briar uh, explain to him uh, that he's there to tell him something, but first he has to do something, and he pulls a gun out and puts it in young Alfred's face. We then see current-day Alfred uh, using a hang glider, some kind of flying contraption to fly over uh, where the sub is, where Batman's gone underwater. Um, and we see Briar helping the knight out of the water onto a raft. And then the submarine that Batman is presumably still on explodes. Um, there is a backup here uh, where we get to see more of the Russian gangsters doing Russian gangster stuff. I guess the biggest question kind of, I guess, with this whole arc is, you know, going on, which is Alfred is, we know that Alfred's backstory has changed a few times over the year. Um, this Alfred's backstory looks slightly similar to the Alfred out of the um, 
Batman Earth One stuff as a more of a hardcore soldier. What do you guys think of this? Is this the version of Alfred you like? Do you like more the classic Golden Age version of Alfred? Uh, I mean, is this the version of Alfred you can live with, or is there one you prefer? I could live with this version. I, I enjoyed the way Alfred was portrayed in Earth One. Um, this doesn't seem too far removed from that version. You know, the thing is, I think the problem with the Golden Age Alfred is that there wasn't a lot of substance. This gives Alfred a little bit more. Um, I think back to when I watched The Dark Knight, the Chris Nolan film, and there was that story that Alfred's telling about how he was hunting some rebels in, in the jungle and you know, you had to burn the jungle down. And, and it was something that you didn't expect to hear from Alfred because Alfred has always just kind of been there, been in, you know, this, you know, rock for Bruce Wayne. But the biggest thing is that he has never really been in a situation where he's, his character has been allowed to grow. Um, and clearly that's what they're, they've been trying to do over the past few years because, you know, this wasn't the first time we've had this and, and they're going a little bit more with the MI6 version or the, the you know, yeah. the SAS version of, of Alfred compared to previously. But this isn't the first time that Snyder has actually tried to, you know, build on the character of Alfred going back to his backups in the back of, Court of Owls storyline where he actually comes back, uh, where he comes back to the States because his father requests his requests him to come back to help with the Waynes. He, that, that, you know, that really wasn't really focused on in the past that much either. So Snyder's clearly trying to build Alfred up, but it just seems like it's in a weird way because every time it seems like he's building the character, he ends up trying to destroy the character by chopping his hand off or, you know, having him betray Batman or who knows what else. But, I'm completely okay with this version of Alfred. If anything, it just makes him more substantial than he's ever been in the past. Yeah, I think it gives him certainly some agency and and credibility. I don't know too much about his origin story. So when you say something like Golden Age Alfred, that doesn't really mean much to me. I think I've always known that he's had some sort of military past. Was that included with the Golden Age Alfred? He was in the Royal Air Force, I think. Yeah, he was intelligent. I think the original Golden Age was he was just an intelligence, had been an intelligence. Okay. But I don't think it was ever really specific. I I like this, though. I like not only seeing that uh, he really had a tough time, I think, and you see the struggles and the conflict that he had with his father and being with his mother, which I think to a certain extent just wasn't enough because I think every boy needs his father. And then, you know, just hitting a trough and picking himself up. And I think one of my favorite lines was um, was something like finding pride and just, I think, understanding who he was and, and trying to some way and so going into the military so i like this it was one of the things while i think it was a little strange in the beginning uh beware the batman which was that animated series or i guess like cgi series that only lasted a season it was different because alfred was very much a partner to batman and he was very much on the same level and he had that really deep military background with him and so he could hold his own and i like that because you don't you know, he's not just there to give tea and low fat 
muffins, which I just read him doing in a <laughs> recently for some research I was reading today. But he uh, here, you know, you, you can see where he's got his background. It makes sense that this guy is currently with, uh, you know, bat wings on his back and, and he can use the technology and everything. And that's why he can stitch up Batman. So I just think it gives him agency and it makes sense. And I, I think some authenticity as well as why he's able and why he's worthy of being with Batman and not just as a father figure and a butler, but someone who very much is, I think, a uh, a partner to Batman. So I, I like this. I, I don't think it's too out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I do too. Um, it, does, it did strike to me that this was, uh, and Snyder has hinted at this version of Alfred, but this was very much lockstep with Johns' Earth One. Um, which which is fun because I really like that version of Alfred too. I think it makes more sense when Alfred can be more of a mentor in some of the more physical aspects um, as opposed to, you know, the, the more of a comic foil, which he was way back in the day. So I like this. Um, no surprise here. We all agree on that. Second kind of point was that would Penguin and his boys uh, help Batman, who they instantly recognize as a Batman, although he's not wearing a costume. Did we think that this was kind of a clever piece of writing when he talk, when we talk about, oh, it's a bad Bruce Wayne disguise when he's clearly not dressed as, as Batman? Or do we think this was contrived? What, which one was it? See, the, I would normally say it was contrived, but I think they're, they're playing off the idea that Tommy Elliott was dressed as Bruce Wayne. So they're assuming that Batman was went undercover as Bruce Wayne, too. I'm guessing that's the idea behind it. I don't think it's the most well-written aspect of this story. I think it was, I think it could have, they could have gone in a different way or something like that. I, yeah, sometimes you just have to chalk it up to, you know, moving the story forward. And that's what I'm going to do here. I don't have to like it, but it happens. I thought it was fun. You know, it's a little tongue in cheek, I think, because clearly we know that it's Batman, but everyone's looking down at him and saying how poor of a mask the Bruce Wayne mask is. So I thought it was actually pretty clever. And it's one of those things where the, what is that phrase? The least trying to think of what it is but basically you know if you're looking for something probably people are not going to look for the thing that's most apparent so they're not going to think right because it's right in front of their face so they're not going to think that oh my gosh bruce wayne is batman because clearly he wouldn't go out like that so it has to be batman dressed up like bruce wayne so i think that's pretty funny and it also reminds me of a bronze age story which barbara gordon's in as batgirl which was like the many face of bruce wayne i think that's what the story was and basically he's wearing masks and at one point barbara's like about to be revealed to that you know it's it's bruce wayne and and he takes off a mask and she doesn't believe it and he has like on another mask underneath so it's yeah it's just one of those things that of course batman would do that and i i thought it was clever yeah, I thought it was clever too. Um, I you could, I could see where someone could have thought it was contrived. I especially like Batman's comment at the end, like, "And by the way, my Bruce Wayne disguise is perfect." You know, like, um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I thought I thought the whole thing was clever. I could see where that could have come off as as contrived, um, but I thought it was fun. Um, we are reading comic books; it's nice to have a little bit of fun in there. Um, so that's all I really got because the plot we're kind of in an intermediate issue where we kind of don't have much moving forward. So. That's where we are. So I'm going to give All-Star Batman a total of three and a half out of five. Uh, Four out of five. I'll also give it a four out of five. 
And over on the website, Corbin gave it four out of five. So that's going to give All-Star Batman a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman. Batman number 25, War of Jokes and Riddles, part one. Script, Tom King, pencils and inks, Mikhail Yannon, and colors, June Chung. Early in Batman's career, during a strange crime spree of Joker, Jokers, Riddler escapes custody under the guise of assisting the GCPD with tracking down the criminal. He ends up killing the lieutenant that's in charge of the case, and upon exiting the little room, he also outsmarts the rest of the GCPD because he knows the names of all of their children, and so basically they part the waters and he walks free. He ends up heading straight to Joker's endgame, uh, arriving even before Batman figures out the location. And it happened to be the nose on a clown face that was drawn on a map. So of all the things that Joker's been doing, it's created this sort of map. Here, Riddler presents Joker with his thoughts on the current state of Gotham. Batman basically has ruined all the fun. Joker has been doing... Pretty crazy things, even for him. I mean, he tells a joke to a cab driver. The cab driver thought it was funny. Joker did not think it was funny, and Joker shoots him. And then the cab crashes into a water fountain, and Joker thought maybe it'd be funny to break his neck, but it wasn't funny then. So that's just an example of, you know, some some of the crazy things he's doing. So... Basically, he can't laugh anymore because Batman has made everything predictable in his constant victories, and Batman himself has become a puzzler puzzle, sorry, a puzzle that Riddler is unable to solve. So he feels like maybe they're on the same foot in, or same level. Instead of hearing Riddler out, however, Joker decides to shoot him uh, to see if that would be funny at point blank range, in fact. And that's this doesn't work. He just walks out. Batman arrives and he actually leaves Riddler for dead. But in his explanation of things, he assumes because of the point blank range with the 45 all the blood loss. Basically, he wouldn't survive. There was nothing he could do, so he just leaves them. And he heads out after Joker, whom Riddler says now has a bomb. I don't know where this bomb came from, but he has it. And Riddler actually does get away. And then we see a nice little pan, not a panel, a whole page of different villains and Basically, over the next months, Gotham devolved into chaos, and we can see, you know, Clayface and all these special villains. And so people that we're getting to the end here, people think they understand Batman is what Batman is saying, but no one does, and not even Selina. And Selina is the person to whom Bruce is actually narrating the story. They're in bed. Batman is naked. And uh, as far as I can tell, there are shadows, but, you know, it looks like he doesn't have any pants on. Uh, Bruce explains that before whatever happens between the two of them, and it's actually hard to tell if she's wearing a ring or not uh, from my, you know, the page. I, I, I can't tell, so who knows. But I assume because he said before whatever happens between us. Uh, so anyways, before whatever happens that's going to happen, she needs to know what he did during the War of Drokes and Riddles and that he had to do what he had to do. So next up is Choose a Side. Whoo-wee. Okay. Hmm. Well, <laughs> so I've got two sort of bigger questions because um, normally I, I get into the m- more detail-oriented questions, but I want to take a step back since this is just part one of the story. So first one – 
is about storytelling. What sort of pressure or difficulties are there in telling a story that's set in the past or history of Batman rather than during the current present timeline? Because this is, as far as we know, going to be a backflash story because everything was except for the scene with Selina and Bruce in bed. So what problems are presented by doing a story like this? What what sort of pressure is there on Tom King as well as difficulties or challenges that he's going to have to face doing something that's in the past compared to just doing an average story that he's been doing in the present timeline or in the future? Well, I think the biggest thing that he's going to have to potentially deal with is fan backlash if he adjusts something from Batman's past uh, that we do not know of that, you know, that he's claiming has taken place. But according to our knowledge of the comics, it hasn't taken place. I mean, that's obviously the biggest criticism, but then again, it could be something, you know, the problem is that he's setting this up as a huge thing by saying, Selena, before you tell me whether or not you actually want to marry me, I have to tell you about this horrible thing that I did years and years ago. So here's the story of this horrible thing that I did. Now, if the story plays out and we find out that it really wasn't so horrible. Shoplifting. Yeah. Then what was really the point of making this big deal about having to tell Catwoman before this? Other than just, you know, the story is just placed right here right now because it needs to be. Um, So that's that's the biggest thing for me is I just want to make sure that no matter what happens, the consequences from telling Selena are actually entirely possible there could be some sort of consequences by telling her this she could look at him a different way and say wow i would have never thought in my wildest dreams that you would have ever had anything to do with this but at the same point i mean it's not like i'm going to sit here and get upset about it if it doesn't have some sort of humongous lasting change because i don't really want him to mess with it i mean the biggest thing is you could try to look at it from the perspective of compare it to the when scott snyder said he was going to tell the zero hour story you know, zero year. I, or zero year. Yeah. Zero year. Not zero hour. That was zero hour. Something totally different. different yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's a crisis. Yeah. Um, but when he, when he told the zero year, when he announced that he was telling a story and it was called zero year, I think a lot of people were slightly upset. I was upset um, because year one is a very good point where you don't really need to retread it. You really don't. It's definitive. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, there's no reason you need to retell it or tell a different version of it or whatever. And the problem is that Snyder, I feel like, and I, I don't know if it's him himself or if he's like coached by the PR people when he is when he is going to be giving interviews. But he tries to like every time he gives an answer, it seems like he's trying to please everybody with the answers to the questions. Not necessarily that everything that he writes is going to please everybody, but that the answers that he's giving are going to please everybody. Um, Just look at the beginning of the new 52 when people would ask him, Hey, uh, all these stories that happened in Batman, do they still happen? And his like go-to answer for everybody was all of your favorite stories that have happened in the past have still happened. We're not getting rid of any of those stories, but they did get rid of some of those stories and him, him, he himself did his own version of the origin story for Batman by telling zero year, which you know, in some ways, and, and I'm not saying it, it erased year one by any means, but it told its own version of the same story. I mean, it didn't need to be told, but that's what he did. And it, who knows whether or not he was told he needed to tell that origin story or if it was something else, but that's what happened. And the entire time he's telling people one thing, but then when we get whatever he's writing, it, it 
it's telling like two different sides of the story. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the way DC wants things to be portrayed. Um, but that being said, when you compare Zero Year, which was a flashback origin story, to Tom King's War of the Joker Riddles, which is a flashback story, not an origin story by any means, maybe, depending on how what direction he goes with this big reveal of whatever the horrible thing that Batman did, but... It's a flashback story, so the biggest thing is just comparing those two stories. You know, if it's better than Scott Snyder's Zero Year, that's a good thing. If it's not as good, it could be chalked up as well as it's just not as good of a writer as Scott Snyder, which, I mean, no offense to Tom King, but I don't think anybody's saying that Tom King is as good as Scott Snyder. So I don't really know that Tom King is in a a lose-lose situation here. You know, he doesn't – he's not necessarily going to – tell the you know the most amazing story in the world but as long as it's an entertaining story it doesn't have the moments that we've had in some of these previous story arcs where we have some issues that feel like filler and then the stories wrap up very suddenly and unexpectedly in a very quick manner and don't deal with you know the repercussions of the things that actually happen then i think i'll be completely content with the story and and it being in that flashback you know story version that he's going to choose to tell it in I think, Stella, you talk about what what are the limitations of doing these stories, right? I, I, for me, mm-hmm. it's, it's the stakes, right? Isn't that the biggest problem? You know Batman can't die. You know the Joker can't die. Riddler, Commissioner Gordon, you know the city's not going to get destroyed. You know what I'm saying? Like, all the major characters, we all know they're still alive. So you have to use something other than the traditional tropes of a char- you know threat of a character dying, the city being blown up, the planet being torn asunder, because those stakes are real. Like I said, we're, our flashback that we're getting here is Bruce and Selina sitting in bed. So Bruce obviously isn't going to come to any harm. So I think that's one of the troubles, in, in my opinion, has always been, but take all the continuity stuff out of it that Dustin was talking about, because continuity is, you don't want to see a muck with continuity, but from a pure storytelling standpoint, it's difficult to have a, a appropriate stakes. Because what happens in these stories a lot of times is we'll introduce a character that we have never seen in the present. Because remember, it's tough to introduce a character in these stories because where if they were so important, where are they now? But almost always the new character gets introduced in these stories almost 100% of the time dies. Almost out of necessity. Um, you can't have a character in the past. Where are they now? Blah, 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 blah. You need to kill someone. We'll kill. I mean, so I, I think that it's, it limits the narrative and really brings this level of stakes down when you do a story like that, that would be my biggest like red flags on on these types of stories. Yeah. I think everyone's knee jerk is probably continuity, just how it's going to fit in and everything. And I I mean, I think to a certain extent that's there, but how sad is it for you to be enclosed in this box and unable to have that potential freedom? But I I guess, you know, but Elseworlds is really the only place where you have limitless freedom. Um, But I I think while you don't, he doesn't necessarily need to be fully tied to continuity. I think he can't do anything wacky. So I think he does need to keep an eye out on what he's doing, especially since he's using these two big villains. Uh, I, I think one of the things I'm thinking about is just how is this going to change the characters involved? Not only Joker, because I feel like I'm seeing him for the first time in this really sort of morose manner, uh, which I'm not really used to in doing very bizarre things, even for the Joker. Uh, You've got the Riddler, which seems like he's acting per usual. But it's Batman. Is my opinion of Batman going to change, and should it change? Because I think it sort of goes with Ed's, uh, what are the stakes, but just the repercussions on the character. Is this going to change how we see him? 
And I think for any comic character, they should be dynamic because I don't know if we're really ever going to read the same character forever. You know, we want yeah. them to change to a certain extent, but it shouldn't be really crazy. Like some of the stuff that went on in Batman and Robin Eternal, where we're like, oh, gosh, Here we you go know, would Batman do this kind of thing? So I think clearly he's probably done something that makes him upset because he feels like the relationship's on the line, you know, unless he's honest about what's happened but so it can't be like too far out of the realm of possibility um but i I think it should show some depth to the character and add some other sort of thing that like oh wow you know like that time that batman used a gun see it has happened so yeah i I think it's just how is the character going to be impacted is what i'm most looking forward to but it's just interesting because i feel like it's easier to push forward in storytelling instead of going backward um i guess in a way that he's sort of doing both he's got like two parallel times timelines going on because he's going to be talking to Selena at the same time. But for me, I guess I I just feel like a writer would, you know, progressing perhaps is easier than pulling from the past. And I would question why go to the past instead of going forward. Does that mean that he's struggling right now? Or, you know, is this just something that he wants to do? He wants to play with these two characters. And the only way to do that now, since Joker's kind of gone, is to go in the past. Uh, my other question, again, a little bit bigger, is about the Joker. Is a Joker who finds nothing funny more dangerous than a Joker who finds many things funny? Interesting. I would say that a Joker who finds nothing funny probably is more dangerous because if he because he, if he's just bored and he's not finding anything funny, he could become a much more much bigger threat to Gotham City. I mean. If anything, sometimes it seems like Joker does things because it's funny. I mean, at least that's how some writers write him sometimes. By not finding anything funny, it seems like he could be a bigger threat. It's like a drunk, right? If if a drunk can just get alcohol, he's just going to get drunk. You take a drunk or an addict of any type and not let them get access to the thing they want, their willingness to step up their behavior, you know what I'm saying? To, To try to get that thing. For him, it's a laugh. He's killing people left, right, and center, and it's not doing anything for him. I mean, there's the scene at the beginning of this issue where there's just dead bodies everywhere. I think it would definitively make him a, a, a more terrifying character. Think about it. He's just, he, this is a guy with no moral qualms. So he's simply going to keep stepping it up, crazier and crazier things, trying to get that laugh. So yeah, I, I think this would make him a definitively more scary character. And yeah, I agree. I think I, I was looking at the different things that he was doing and some of the things seemed like, oh, well, probably for instance, the first scene you see him in is at that club and he's basically trying out a bunch of stand-ups and if they don't work, he's killing them and then he's getting someone to drag that body off stage and then going and you can see like there's this pile of bodies and I think to myself well I'm pretty sure we've seen him do that sort of thing before but I don't know to like the extent of that pile of bodies that he did or it seems like he's more ballsy than he normally is because I especially think with the scene with the cops because he's just out there like in blind daylight and he shoots two officers and then goes on his merry little way or the cab thing where he's like maybe if I break my neck it'll be funny so it just seems like he's really off the the deep end but it's also very unsettling that several paneled page where Riddler is explaining why he's unhappy and he's just got this scowl on his face and I think 
while the Joker's smile is very unsettling, the scowl is perhaps even worse. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with both of you that I think it is. He, he, he'll he go to any depths now to sort of get his funny bone back. And he's been doing pretty wacky things. So I guess we'll see. All right. So Batman, I'm going to give you a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. I really liked it. I'm actually going to give it four out of five with the caveat of, I just feel like here we go again. I really like the first issue. Uh, I'm going to give it 3.5 out of five as well. All right. And over on the website, Matthew gave it four. So that's going to give Batman a total of three and a half out of five bad rings. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 959, written by James Tynion IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. Years ago, Zatanna finds Bruce atop a casino roof in Vegas, trying to master her father's coin trick. Bruce struggles with his mission and his attempt to gain the skills he will need. Telling Zatanna of his love for Gotham, their situations have clearly drawn them together, though distance still remains. In the present, Zatanna uses her magic to suit Batman up in Penguin's Iceberg Lounge, as Azkalon recovers from her gravity spell. Though she attacks with a hydroelectric trick, Asklon uses foam to keep her from speaking, neutralizing her at least for the moment. The robot then attacks brother Kodo, but Batman interposes himself as the team arrives. Asklon is puzzled by Azrael, who says that the battle is his responsibility, but when Asklon touches Azrael, he attempts to overwhelm the suit of Sorrow's programming with his own. Batman and the team coordinate to evacuate the lounge, but Brother Kodo has been killed with cyanide, as Cass notices. Sensing Kodo's death, Ascalon leaves to seek the truth of what puzzled it. At the Belfry, Dr. Victoria October, as you remember from the Batwoman Begins storyline from months ago, treats Nomaz, who reveals that he's a wholly engineered sentient being by the Order. Clayface tells Nomaz that Kodo died, and Nomaz says that he was the last bit of decency left in society. As October prepares to operate on Nomaz, she indicates that she could take a look at Clayface's condition as well. Meanwhile, Batwing flies Batwoman to Burnside, where his company, Fox Tech, has its main campus. Luke fills her in on his life, including his sister Tam running the business, before showing her his collection of AIs he's built up since he looked at the Suit of Sorrows in issue number 950. Jim Gordon's former Batsuit, codenamed Rookie, serves as Luke's primary assistant, and he tells Kate about the ancient programming of the Suit of Sorrows. Comparing it to his scan of Ascalon's programming, he realizes that Ascalon isn't a singular being, but a congregation of intelligences all working together to solve the problems of the St. Dumas. Elsewhere in Gotham, Mm. Batman and Zatanna speak of the reason he originally approached her, seeking answers to the unanswerable. Zatanna expresses her unwillingness based on the cost, but Batman shows her a hologram of Tim to demonstrate the extent of his loss already and his desire to pursue the truth, whatever the consequences. Finally, Jean-Paul Valley Azrael meditates and sees a vision of a monstrous version of Azrael telling him he must remember his true nature. All right. So the first question is, which is probably probably the most unexpected question that I'm going to ask, but uh, Victoria October... Okay. I want to talk about Victoria October for a moment, specifically for this reason. So if you if there's anybody out there who actually reaches who who reads DC Comics bombshells, they introduced Victoria October into the bombshells comic. Um conveniently the the writer of 
who, who well, this the co-creator of Victoria October, which was Margaret Bennett. She writes DC Comics Bombshells as well. She introduces this Victoria October. The reason I, I want to talk about this is when we read that Batwoman Begins issue that was part of the part of detective comics, but leading into what we assumed was going to occur in the pages of Batwoman, we had that issue happen where Batwoman is investigating the, the monsters and the, you know, those people were trying to get a, get a, get the blood from the monsters because the blood was going to be sold on the black market. Victoria October is introduced as a scientist who investigates, you know, monsters and things like that. And, Victoria October has yet to appear in the pages of Batwoman to this point in time, um, but she has appeared multiple times in the Bombshells version of the comic. Um, but I guess the question is, now she's appeared to work on Nomaz, which, I mean, makes sense. But speaking of characters that are introduced, lots of creators will create their own versions of characters so that they can have their lasting effect on the Batman universe or whatever comic they're currently you know, working on. Lots of creators will create a character. The intent, most of the time, you would assume, is that the character is going to be used to serve the plot in some way, shape, or form. Not necessarily speaking directly to Victoria October, but this just got me thinking about this. How do you feel when a creator creates a character, but the character doesn't appear all that often and just feels like it's a one-off character for no purpose other than just that one point? Well, typically, I, I just start to feel like they're plot devices, right? Like, right. I mean, it's not maybe not the best answer in the world, but... When they do that, it makes me feel like, well, we needed a way to push a narrative along. We didn't have a way to do it that made sense with the existing characters, or we didn't want to do something that was going to fundamentally change the character. So we just kind of made up this shadow character, sticker him, her, anyone in there to do whatever they're going to do, and then we forget about the characters. Those happen a ton. Um, and when you've gone months since we've seen the Doctor, um, I just kind of assume that's what happened with her. I uh, Well, I mean, you could say that about many of the villains that we've been – reviewing you know where the new character i mean i guess it's a trope now because it's happened so often the new character is most likely going to be the villain um lincoln march that's true of him i know there i I said a lot but i know that just happened let me look at any of the characters in the pages of back row recently yeah unfortunately Mm. um (laughs) yeah well i think to a certain extent I mean, I don't like it. You don't want a plot device. You want any character that you're reading, you want to care about them and for them to have some sort of impact on the leading character or characters as well as you, you know. So the thing is that I think um, writers, you know, to a certain extent, they're power hungry, right? I mean, they they control this little universe. And while there are a lot of toys to play with in the toy box, I think they also want to create some of their own because they have that power and to create a little bit of their own universe. And hopefully their characters stand the test of time and have some sort of impact, I think, about with Batgirl. I think about Frankie, right, who is new with issue number 35 of whatever volume that was, the Burnside run. And, you know, now she's still going, even though the the people who created her is no longer there. And she's in the bombshells as well. So there's a good example of uh, owner, well, a self-created character that has withstood the test of time. I think in terms of Dr. October, there's been a lot going on, and I find it hard to believe that, well, that you would bring this up mainly because 
you're one of the people who says, you know, that we've got all these other characters to work with anyways. So I don't know why you would want her back <laughs> if we already have a crowded clubhouse. So you can try to defend yourself there. I'll just finish up my point here. I think she was brought up for whatever purpose she had with the Monster Men. But here I very much see her as a Leslie Tompkins character. Because we don't, we don't really, I don't even know where Leslie Tompkins is, quite honestly. But we sort of need a medical officer in this, uh, on the Nostromos here, uh, that we'll call the, the Batman universe. And so, uh, you know, I think if she's sort of brought into the fold, then we can have that sort of person. She can, uh, make a reappearance. So I think before this, she probably was maybe one of those throwaway characters. But at the same time, if she's appearing in bombshells, then I guess technically she isn't. But I think it's just power. And I think it's wanting to create create a bit of your own universe in an already created universe, as well as hoping that some of these characters would stand the test of time. And I think there are just iterations that writers also go through that they have this really great idea. And then, well, that character didn't pan out the way that I thought he or she would. And so maybe they'll just sort of be written off in whatever way. Um, Because, I mean, there are probably characters that we wonder where do they go. But if you ask yourself, did I actually care about that character? And you say no, then what would be the point of wondering where they are? So go ahead, Dustin, defend yourself. Why do you... (laughs) Well, I clearly Why have a bunch of things. Let's see how this goes. I clearly have yes. a bunch of things to say here. So the first thing is Leslie Tompkins go. is currently managing her own clinic that was in the pages of Detective Comics recently. Oh, okay. Uh, don't ask what she's doing in Gotham. She's if you yeah. don't. Know. Yeah. So. Oh, right, right. You're right. Yeah, I'm not. Right. I'm not even going to bring up Gotham. I, 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 I despise that show so we're so so much. Oh boy. Okay. So anyway, so she's in the clinic. You know, we saw her actually appear in the the first victim syndicate uh, storyline when spoiler was there. But okay, so here's 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 my defense. Okay, I have no problem admitting that I have complained multiple times about characters being thrusted upon us, and they serve. But but here's here's where I I, I think the difference is between a character like this, which is clearly created to be a supporting character off to the side. Not to be, you know, they're not going to suit up to become an ally like Harper Rowe or Duke Thomas. Those characters were clearly designed for one purpose, which was to eventually be in a mask within the Bat family, but not be a part of the Bat family that everybody else is, the the own Snyder Bat family, to, per se. That being said, when you look at a character like this Victoria October, this character, for example, she appeared in Bat, a story that was called Batwoman Begins, which when I read it, I assumed, because this is at least what James Tynion had said in interviews, that this story, because it's a one-issue story, is serving as a prelude into the Batwoman rebirth story that will take place in the whatever it was, the, the few weeks after that issue. And then that will carry on because he was the co-writer of Batwoman when it first launches. Okay, so... I read Batwoman and I kept reading Batwoman and Victoria October has yet to show up. And and I don't know why. I thought that that was the whole reason why it was called Batwoman Begins. We were focusing so heavily on Batwoman because we were introducing characters that were going to take place in the same comic of her own solo stories in the pages of Batwoman. That is yet to happen. Maybe it will happen eventually. I don't know. But that was in January when that issue came out, and here we are in June, and we're just seeing the character again. Now, I don't have any problem with you know, a character just 
playing a part for one issue, but there's, there's certain things that, that shouldn't happen. You don't need to give a character a full name, first name, last name. If they only have a one issue appearance, there's no need for that. You can just call them a doctor or you can call them whatever. There's no reason you need to have them have a first and last name. They went to the lengths of like her saying certain dialogue that, that, uh, that made her reveal that she was, uh, I believe a transgender and, I th- and and I and I remember them making a big deal about the fact that there's a character in Detective Comics who is trans, and I thought, okay, so they're clearly going somewhere with this character. But here we are, six months later, and and don't get me wrong, she was brought in to work on Nomas. She's previously worked with the Monsters. It makes sense that she's brought in now to help out with this character who is not going to be able to be worked on by a normal doctor. That's fine. The problem is that it just feels like they dropped the ball on this character because it feels like she was supposed to be somewhere else. That being said, when you compare it to somebody like Harper Rowe and Duke Thomas, I honestly got the vibe immediately after they introduced those characters that these characters are characters who are supposed to be just, you're supposed to care about them. I don't need to care about Victoria October or have any sort of feelings whatsoever because she's just in the story. She's just a character. I mean, I hate to say it, but and I'm not saying she's on the same level as this character, but Alfred is in the story. I don't need to dislike or like Alfred in the story for him to be in <laughs> multiple stories. He's a character who just is part of the Batman universe of characters. That's what he is. I thought that's what she was going to be. It wasn't like she was going to potentially have her own solo series down the line. I wasn't thinking that. But when you look at characters like Duke Thomas and Harper Rowe, that's exactly what they intended when they when they introduced those characters. That's why it bugs me. So that's my defense as to why. But I'm not saying that I want to see her. I just felt like they were introducing her in a manner that meant she was supposed to be coming around in other stories. And it has yet to happen. That's what I was saying. But that being said, my other question has to do with um, Zatanna showing up so that they we kind of see that brief little moment uh, on the, the the casino roof in Vegas when Bruce is in the training so we get a little bit of, we get a little bit of that which is what I was saying I really wanted to see was potentially something showing some sort of relationship between the two of them that took place back in the past um, this begs the question of is this comic taking place in the same same universe as what we have over in Batman. Uh, I mean, we have Batman proposing to Selena over in the pages of Batman. We have him sleeping with her in the issue that we're literally reviewing right now and him telling this, you know, this massive important story from his past. But over here, there's a potential flirtatious nature between the two of them that could or could not be taking place, depending on how you read the story um, between the two of them. But there's no mention of Catwoman at all. And, I know I brought this up the last episode, but I just, I'm probably just going to keep bringing it up until it's addressed. But when this, when there's big, big, big life or potentially life changing events, like someone getting married, someone having a child, someone breaking up with somebody, someone dying, someone coming back to life. Those are things that should be addressed in multiple issues or multiple series, not just one singular series. And the fact that there's no mention of Catwoman at all, there's no mention of anything happening to the button in this series outside of the fact that, uh, you know, he briefly mentioned Tim Drake and that stuff. I just have to wonder to myself, and I, I just want you guys to ch- you know chime in with your thoughts. 
you know, is this going to be detrimental to the future of the stories if they don't, if the stuff isn't line wide? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it'd be basically stupid to have Batman married into Selena in one book and not in the rest. I mean, the problem is we don't know how the story is going to end. For all we know, they're going to do this war jokes and riddles. Bruce and Selena are going to have a night in bed talking about what awful crap he did. And then at the end of the story, he's, she's just going to go, you know what? Marriage ain't for me. Peace. I'm out. So, assuming that's not what happens, oh, um, man. But if that was what happened, who man? Yeah, I mean that, that that could be how it ends, which is why we haven't seen it anywhere else. Um, I think that I completely agree. By the way, major things obviously need to be line wide. I don't think anyone's going to make an argument to the contrary. But I would say that I am okay with things being allowed to play out before they're forced to go line wide. Does that make any sense? Since part of the narrative of the war of jokes and riddles is, will she say yes? If all of a sudden we had Batman run around town going, you know, Selena's my fiance, right? That would kind of ruin the story. You know what I'm saying? I agree. um, And I agree with that. I think the problem is that sometimes I think I look at the comics and I think to myself, I think to myself, okay, the war of jokes and riddles is taking place over... I mean, it's it's taking place at least through September at this point. It could probably be going through October, October. November. Yeah. So who you know who knows how long the storyline is going to be taking place? But in detective comics, they just keep chugging along with the time. So you know, is this War of the Joke and Riddles? Is the button actually taking place some other point that we have yet to see in the pages of detective comics? That's my that's my wonder because you know I understand the the perspective of obviously he's not going to run around town immediately after you know having to tell this story which is going to take, you know, up to the next four months to tell. He's not going to be running around t- telling everybody, hey, guess guess what? I'm engaged to Selena right now because that defeats the purpose of where they're trying to go with that story. The problem is that this is still supposed to be taking place at the same time, at least that's the way it's perceived. So if the idea was that they took out that Tim Drake stuff a couple issues back because they were like, wait, time-wise, it's not going to make any sense for them to talk about Tim Drake now, if he's not going to be coming back until, you know, whenever. And we, in the pages of Batman, Batman's not going to be talking about that stuff because we're basically going to be stuck in basically a, the, the week after the button where, you know, he realized, you know, the whole button happens, he comes back and we wrap up the stuff from, you know, that we had from the last issue and he proposes and then they immediately go into him telling the story, which all takes place over just one week's worth of time. Detective Comics keeps chugging along. There's got to be some point where it's got to line up if that's what they're aiming for. At least oh. I'm hoping they're doing, but I, I- they're going to line it up at some point. They, if Selena says yes and it becomes something line wide, they'll have to line it up. Then it just comes a question of what order they slot the stuff in. Because then it, you could very well go, everything in Detective, including the story, happens. Then the button. Then Selena. Oh yeah. Then and I can know, see like, that that's how they could go too. I mean, there's definitely a way to do that. The problem is that then you run into the problem of if they start doing life changing things over in Detective Comics, it's got to match up somehow in a weird way because. If Tim Drake, for example, comes back to life or comes back or whatever, whatever in September, as we're expecting him to based off that cover, then one would have to assume that Bruce would react to that in the pages of Batman somehow. Well, but I guess not really. Not if, really. If it's, if it's I, happening. I don't think they will. Somehow bef- before, you know, I guess uh, Tim Drake comes back and the first thing that happens is Bruce tells him he's engaged. That's the only way I guess it works. Yeah. I mean, it's the only, it's the only way it can work. I mean, it's almost, there's almost no way around it really. 
you've almost got to let storylines play out and then slot them. Um, because it's just, it's, it's the old thing If Batman can't, no character can be in two places at once. And when you have Batman, I think suffers from this more than any other character, just because there's so many books about him. And there's so many books that are tangentially tied to the character. If, if you went just from the timeline of stuff he'd have to do, he would be busy 20, like the, the, you know, every year we get a story about how exhausted Batman is. Oh yeah. Right. Like, that's for real. I mean, this if, if he had to do all the stuff in the books, he's exhausted. I agree with you. It's got to be line-wide to have any impact. I will give them the benefit of the doubt until we're done with this storyline. But if these storylines end and we still don't line it up, then it's a problem. And that doesn't even mention wh- where in the world is Dark Knight's Metal going on. I mean, you got Dark Knight's Metal, which arguably would cause more continuity problems of timelining this together than Detective and Batman, you know? I mean, so yes, it's it's. I, I, I wish they did. But unfortunately, I just don't see that they're ever going to be able to get themselves out of those scrapes. I think, unfortunately, they're just going to happen sometimes. I think the problem. I think part of the problem is that I think that there's less of a focus right now. I know that Mike, uh, when Mike March was the Batman Group editor, there was a huge focus on the stuff flowing, you know, line wide, linearly. Yeah, yeah, I remember, and and, and previously before he even worked there, um, you know. Going back to the early 2000s, 90s, that stuff was very, very, you know, it all was very linear. And I think when Mark Doyle took over, I think there was less of a focus on that because it more, I think the focus was more on what sells really well and let's put the focus there and other stories can be told, but that's not the focus. Um, I think Detective and Batman have always worked somehow together, but ever since Rebirth, it doesn't really feel like the two of them are working hand in hand like they should because that's how it's always been. So that's the the concern I have. And I know that Mark Doyle is not even the group editor now. He's he got promoted or he's a higher, you know, he's higher up where he's covering more books and they're supposed to be supposed to be finding somebody to fill in some of the group editor positions. I feel like something's missing here and I feel like a lot of times it has to do with, you know, somebody's just not connecting the dots between the books. And that's really what the editor's job is. So anyway, Stella, do you have any comments about line wide? Oh, line wide issues. Well, this is, yeah, I mean, like you said, I guess you, uh, you're going to bring it up until it gets resolved. I always imagine. Let's look at, but here, let me, let me ask you this from your perspective, because you Uh, cover Batgirl and Batgirl and Birds of Prey. Oh yes. yes. Those two books, they Mm -hmm. are, you know, featuring Barbara Gordon. It's, it's in some ways, it's a very similar situation compared to Batman. Mm -hmm. When you have the pages of Batgirl telling one story, and then you have the pages of Birds of Prey telling a completely different story and they don't work hand in hand. They don't make any sense. Barbara has a boyfriend in one book, but she's single in the other or something like that. How, how do you feel about stuff like that? Oh, well, sure. Yeah. I I don't like it. I I feel like I haven't discovered those sorts of problems yet because her life hasn't necessarily been touched upon outside the costume and birds of prey. And, but there are major things that still pop up that I felt happy that it happened. So for example, when Nightwing and Batgirl had that conversation, was that in Batgirl or was that in Nightwing actually? Remember there was an, Ooh, okay. Well, um, (laughs) then maybe never mind. Um, well, because that happened and then it, showed up again in Birds of Prey because he came over and there was that moment between Helena and Babs and Dick and um, you know basically they rehashed what happened in Nightwing so I was happy that there was some continuity there 
I think the characterization of Babs is not the same between the two books. So I would, I mean, yeah, sure. It's fresh. I didn't, I never said it wasn't frustrating. It certainly is. But I also know firsthand that uh, Hope Larson and the Benson sisters haven't exactly communicated. So, I mean, that may have changed. That was in July 2017. I'd love to ask again. But, you know, I, I think that that's a bit of an issue there. Uh, for uh, for Batman, I, I always imagined that Detective Comics and Batman were running at different paces. And I think I have this idea from when the new 52 began, because I think something was happening where wasn't one of the books like five years later, but one was only like one or two years later after like the whole reboot thing, like they were set in different spaces of time. There, there was a couple points where that was happening, but for example, they were telling the zero year story in one book. And then in the other book, they were telling something that was not, anywhere even close in time because they were like five years separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also the time where, you know, they were telling the Jim Gordon as Batman in both books and it was running simultaneously. Um, not necessarily like back and forth. You were reading one issue and then the next issue and it all was the same storyline, but Jim Gordon at least Jim was, was Batman at least Batman in both yeah. books. Yeah, so I imagine, I don't think it's year gaps, but I just feel like one of them is moving at a quicker clip than the other one and i'm not sure which one that would be uh because i'd like to think that it's detective comics is moving more slowly like maybe it's going daily whereas batman's going like you know weekly or something like that um but the sad thing about that that one doesn't make sense as much because of the whole tim situation though of course actually it could make sense if it is moving slower then the tim situation situation is resolved by the time we catch up in batman the reverse if batman's moving slowly and detectives is faster that would go back to what ed said i think that's what he said i zoned out for a bit um <laughs> that <There you> go. <laughs> just want to be honest that unfortunately the engagement does not turn out well so he's free to flirt with Zatanna because he's not tied down to anything but um I, I'm I mean this is a glaring error this isn't like Batman wore blue pants on Monday but over in Be- detective he was actually wearing gray pants and they were seam suckers it's not like that this is like he's you know romantically involved with Catwoman on a very serious level but he's also you know flashing back and having these romantic potentially moments with Zatanna. That's pretty huge right there. So I have to think that there's something else going on. And I don't know if we'll ever find out, but I just feel like they're moving at two different paces or they're slightly disconnected timeline-wise. Um, question, though, before is with Night of the um, Monsters, is that what it was called? Night of the Monster Monster Man. Man. Okay. It's hard to keep all of this stuff. Was Batman involved in that tie-in? Was a Batman detective? It was Nightwing, right? It was Batman, Batman detective and uh, Nightwing, yeah. Okay, so then that's where my theory falls through, right? Because if you have books in the same time, that means they have to be working in the same time. So I, I don't know. There's like, there's no good answer. You can continue asking your question until it's resolved. It's a big glaring error, and someone is overlooking it. Basically, well, hopefully somebody listens to us at DC and and tries to realize. They need to adjust <laughs> it. Although knowing that how far they, they how far ahead they work, it, w- it could take 
good four months before they actually yeah. get around to fixing yeah. something like that. I bet it'll get fixed, but I bet you it's the end of War and Jokes and Riddles. I'm Probably. Sorry. I mean, that's it won't happen before then. Because the whole War of Jokes and Riddles in real time happens over, what, 12 hours? Because it's all yeah, in the past. Like yeah. So, Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Yeah, three out of five. I will agree and say three out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ian said three and a half. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. First up, on June 21st, we had main TV books, Batman number 25, we already talked about, as well as All-Star Batman number 11. Nightwing number 23, Nightwing deals with Lady Tron while being promised by Roland Desmond that he should be trusted. Of course, he shouldn't have been trusted, and he has he has some help capturing Nightwing and prepares to allow a group of supervillains to test out some weapons on him. So by David, he gave it three and a half out of five, and we give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Abstain. Batwoman number four, Kate saves the island of Coriana, but the twins escape and report to their queen. This is by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn number 22. Harley par- Harley's parents visit while she also receives an unexpected visit from Harley Swint. Harley Sin with a proposal. Meanwhile, in the second story, Harley links up with March Harriet and the carpenter to go over some plans for a new hideout. This is by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. No secondary TV books, main DC Universe books. Super Sons number five is Damien and John are grounded. John heads to the Batcave where a new fight between the two occur. This was reviewed by Jessica. She gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Thumbs up. Justice League number 23. The League is combating terrorists and their weapons of mass destruction, but Green Lantern just Cruz saves the day again. This was by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Trinity number 10. The Trinity fights to regain control over the watchtower from seemingly parasitic aliens. As Wonder Woman and Superman interrogate the former jailer of these creatures, questions are raised as to whom they should really be trusting. Zubai Bill, he give it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Secondary DC Universe books, DC Comics Bombshells number 29, which includes digital chapters number 85 through 87. The bombshell versions of Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Dr. October, Hugo Strange, and The Reaper are in the issue. Green Arrow number 25, Black Canary, Kate Spencer, Batman, Bruce Wayne, and the upcoming Gotham Resistance team of Harley Quinn, Robin, Damian Wayne, Nightwing, Dick Grayson, and Batgirl, Barbara Gordon all appear in the issue. Injustice 2 number 4, digital chapters 7 through 8. The Injustice versions of Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Jason Todd, Ra's al Ghul, Ty al Ghul, Damian Wayne, Athanasia al Ghul, Poison Ivy, Lucy Quinzel, who is Harley Quinn's daughter in the Injustice world, Bruce Wayne, and Alfred all appear in the issue. Superman number 25, Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Robin, Damian Wayne both appear in the issue. Teen Titans Go number 22, which includes digital chapters number 43 through 44. The Teen Titans Go versions of Dick Grayson appear in the issue. Moving into June 28th, main TBU books, Detective Comics number 959, we already talked about. Batgirl number 12, Batgirl helps investigate a ghost problem at a Burnside rec center. Using science as her main tool against the attack, science? Her, her and exactly. a group of friends bust the ghost issue quickly. This was reviewed by Ian. He got a two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. <laughs> 
Um, I always sped read it. It seemed okay. Uh, I have, I'll analyze it on my own show. So I'm going to give it a neutral. Batman Beyond number nine, Batman and Damian Wayne start their fight as Bruce Wayne fights his way to the League of Assassins to find Damian about to kill Terry McGinnis. So by Jim, he gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Oh my gosh, this book is so good. Thumbs up. Mother Panic number eight. Mother Panic continues to investigate the body bag killer, which leads her to get a new army of informants and make an appearance on a talk show. So by Jerry, he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Oh my abstain secondary tbu books batman 66 meets wonder woman 77 number six which includes digital chapters 11 through 12 wonder woman and batman f- with help from nightwing and Batgirl to eat Razo ghoul after he falls into a lazarus and becomes a 10 year old boy this is you by jerry he gave it four out of five i'm gonna give this one a neutral neutral um neutral batman the shadow number three through a series of explanations it is revealed that batman is meant to become the next person to hold the mantle of the shadow. So you by Paul, he get four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Batman Elmer Fudd, number one. After the apparent murder of Silver St. Cloud, Elmer Fudd teams up with Batman to seek justice for her death. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five, and I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Yeah, I agree. Thumbs up. Abstain. And I just have to say, so just weird. because it, so was, weird. it was so unexpected. <laughs> If you haven't read it because you were expecting it to be silly, it is not at all silly whatsoever. Not even kind of silly. Yeah, not even a slight bit silly. Um, this was the most interesting crossover I think I've read since I read one of the issues of the the fl- not crossover, but since I read one of the more the more recent Flintstone uh, issues that uh, they did with the Hanna Barbera stuff recently. It is, but this was much, much more interesting because it involved Batman, but crazy, crazy, unexpectedly good. Well, and I don't know why what I'm about to say makes sense to me, but it does. But this issue had the same tone of like, uh, remember Joker by Lee Bermerho? Um Yes. It had that same, maybe it's because there was all the scenes in the bar, like there is in, in Joker, but it felt like that type of tone. I mean, that's how serious this is in tone. Like it's bizarre. Good, but bizarre. All right, main DC Universe books, Teen Titans number nine. When Jackson Hyde's mother arrives in San Francisco, the new Teen Titan must deal with a revelation he might not be able to handle. Meanwhile, the remaining heroes deal with the fallout from the Lazarus contract as they attempt to mend the broken bonds with themselves and each other. This is by Ryan. He gave it four out of five and give this one a neutral. Neutral. Um, thumbs up. Justice League of America number nine. The JLA thwart Maxson's plan of killing his entire family, much to the dismay of some of the members of the team who are upset that Batman didn't give Maxon a chance. So by Paul, he gave it one and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. <laughs> thumbs, thumbs down. Um, abstain. Suicide Squad number 20. Amanda Waller interviews the team members to figure out who the new leader should be, but the choice is an unexpected one. This is by Corbin. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Abstain. Abstain. And for those of you who are wondering, she chooses Harley Quinn to replace Rick Flagg. Perfect. Nothing would go wrong. Uh, secondary DC Universe books, The Flash number 25. Batman makes a brief appearance as part of an exhibit in the Flash Museum as he is part of the Justice League. And then Wonder Woman number 25. Batman appears alongside the Justice League in the issue as well. TBU trades and hardcovers that have released over the past two weeks include Harley Quinn Volume 2, Joker Lover, Joker Loves Harley Trade Paperback, Justice League vs. Suicide Squad Hardcover, DC Comics Bombshells Volume 4, Queens Trade Paperback, DC Superhero Girls Volume 3, Summer Olympus and uh, Trade Paperback, Batman Beyond Volume 1, Escaping the Grave Trade Paperback, Batman by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso Deluxe Edition Hardcover, 
Dark Knight, a true Batman story trade paperback. Dark Knight 3, the Master Race number 9, Collector's Edition. So those are all the issues that came out in the past two weeks. Be sure to check out the website for all detailed reviews of all those books I just mentioned that I gave ratings to um, as we review all of those books on a weekly basis. All right, so moving right along, we're going to jump to our <laughs> listener Q&As. And uh, the first comment we have comes from Paul. Hi, guys. Just want to say, as always, thanks for the podcasts. Welcome, Been listening Paul. since the new 52 launch and enjoyed every minute. Recently, I dropped all of my comics due to finances, and I've listened to the podcast to keep up to date. I must say that I'm not all that fussed about what I've missed with Batman and Detective. When Batman started with Rebirth, I found the stories interesting, but completely agree with you that Tom King's story seems to trail off. As much as Snyder's complexity can be quite annoying at times, he does write a complete story, even if it does last for years and have countless flashbacks and flash forwards. Having got into Batman with the New 52 and then subsequently read backwards through Morrison's run, Damien was my Robin. Oh, so I was glad that Rebirth's Detective would have Tim in it as I could discover the character for myself. Lo and behold, my greatest annoyance with Rebirth came about with Detective, which started off as a family book but lost one of the key members of the family straight away in Tim. I feel this decision really encapsulates the Rebirth experience for me, with books promising lots but not really delivering. Now we are four to five story arcs in and the trend seems to be continuing, in my opinion. I feel the key books, Batman and Detective, do seem to have lost their way, whilst other Bat titles like Red Hood, Super Sons, and Trinity do seem to be clearer, simpler, and as a result, more focused. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on this. Thanks, as always, for all the hard work with the podcast. It is much appreciated. Well, thank you, Paul. We appreciate that. Um, so I would say this. I, I definitely agree that books like Red Hood, Super Sons, Trinity, for the most part, have had a, a let's a, let's just say they have less clutter. Um, and when I when I mean less paper, let's let's be clear. I mean, Perfect. Yeah. What I mean by clutter I think you said is, I think you said everything you needed to say right there. What I mean by clutter uh-huh. is that when yeah. the first of all those books only come out monthly, they, none of those books come out every other week. Um, they they tell a more precise storyline. And let's be clear here, when we're talking the beginning of Rebirth and you say four to five story arcs in, that's only for Batman and Detective because Super Sons just wrapped up their first story arc because that didn't launch until just this past February. We've had uh, Red Hood and, and Trinity. They were on the backside of the books that released. Um, at, you know, They didn't release right away in June, but there are only one, two story arcs in compared to well, Trinity, I think, is a little bit more because they were, they were doing these shorter story arcs. Yeah. So they're, they're a little bit further along. But Batman Detective Comics, they have much longer story arcs. They have many more story arcs. So clearly there's a thing. And I think the problem is that I, I definitely agree. Sometimes the promise of what we're going to get and what we end up getting is two different things. And I think that's the biggest concern. Sometimes I feel like that's not something that was exclusive to what we're getting in Rebirth. Um, because that was something that we felt like we got a lot during the new 52 as well. S- Snyder would tell us we were going to get one thing and then we would end up getting something, you know, on the lines of what he said, but still different in the end than what we were expecting. Um, that being said, I do feel like detective has done a better job 
of telling the story that, uh, you know, telling stories from start to finish when it comes to story arcs. Uh, I think, as we've said in the past, Tom King has had some issues with the middle and the endings of his story arcs. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with, yeah, I know, which is like not much, finishing the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like not finishing it. Yeah. But I think, I think Tyen has done a better job of like telling a complete story arc. It's just, we haven't always been super great, uh, happy with some of the outcomes of the stories. But I think the problem is like, we could be unhappy about spoiler leaving the team and denouncing Batman. We could be unhappy about Tim Drake die or, you know, dying to everyone except for the reader who knows that he's locked away in Mr. Oz's prison. But that doesn't mean that there's not a payoff in the end. And I think that's the the thing that I don't think I myself or us as a, as a cast, we, we do a lot of focus on is, you know, we might be unhappy about some of the choices that the writers make in some of these stories, but does it have an effect or does it serve a purpose in the larger scheme of things? The Tim Drake thing, yes, it was upsetting that he did get taken out basically right through the first story arc, but I feel like there is going to be some sort of payoff. It's just now at this point, it's going to be a year after he disappeared before we get an actual sort of payoff to see how this plays out. Um, And I think that's the biggest problem is it feels like, you know, stories now feel like they are planned much farther out in advance. And so they can sit here and say, yes, we're going to take this character off the table, but we're going to bring him back after this point because of this happening. And it feels like they're doing more like long-term planning than they have in the past. It's also one of the reasons why I think some of the creators have been on the books much longer time for much longer time frames than, than in the past. And I'm not talking about number of issues. I'm actually talking about, you know, uh, just actual time. Um, there's a lot of writers who, you know, they continue to stay on the books, but it, what feels like longer than maybe they should, but that's just because of how long they plan out things in advance. So I think that when they talk about, for example, you know, Tynan is talking about the story arcs that he's doing now, the spoiler thing, the storyline after that, that, you know, potentially brings Tim Drake back to the mix. He's talking about that stuff and that's pretty far in advance. But when you think about it, that's almost a year, almost a year and a half since he started writing the book, which translates when you think about the number of issues, a crap ton of issues. I mean, that's like 36 issues that he'll have written by the time, you know, Tim Drake rolls around and comes back. So that's a lot of issues for any writer considering Scott Snyder was on the book for 51 issues over in Batman, but that took place over a much longer time frame. I just think that a lot of it has to do with the amount of time that they're planning in advance and it makes things a little bit harder to react to. So if fans aren't as pleased about something, it takes more time to try to try to fix something like that which, I mean, it works fine in some of these other books that come out monthly because they're not releasing as much content where, you know, they don't have to plan so far ahead. Also, the artist situation for some of these books that come out twice a month is an issue, too. So, I mean, I I definitely agree that there has been issues with Batman and Detective Comics. I mean, I keep bringing up the line-wide thing, and that's really relating to those two books because the other books – the stuff doesn't really seem to make as big of a difference because they're not the Bruce Wayne centric stories that we are getting in Batman and detective. But I mean, honestly, I I would hope that like Ed said earlier, that eventually they'll just make it all right. And it'll all line up perfectly at some point, at least. I mean, my biggest thing is that I think that the tie on has done a really good job writing detective. I just don't like the cast as much. I mean, when we first got, you remember when the, the um, rebirth covers first came out, Right. And Detective was going to be the family book. And you had Batwoman, 
Red Robin, Black Bat. I don't care that she's called an orphan. Black Bat, spoiler, and Clayface on the cover. And even you were excited about it. Oh, right? yeah. I, I, think, I think the only person I was questioning at the time was Clayface. Clayface. Yeah. Now you get a screenshot of the team and it includes Batwing and Azrael and spoilers missing Duke. and Red Robin's missing. And it's just kind of like, nah, I'm not super excited about it as much as I was when the first team got announced. And I know that that's part of the reason, you know, that's what Paul's saying here when he says the team was Tim Drake. We really wanted Tim Drake to be part of the mix. And he was for only like three months before they, you know, before he got killed off. And Stephanie, she's a major part of, of Batman universe history, you know, like, Having those characters around, I mean, Cass, Stephanie, Tim, I mean, those are like heavyweight hitter. You know what I'm saying? Like, those are major characters. And I just, it's not that the book is poorly wrote now. It's not poorly wrote. I mean, I can't stand Azrael, but that's not, that's not Tyon's fault. That's my fault. I can't, I can't, I see him on the page. I'm like, next page, let's go move it. You know, I mean, I just, but yeah, I, I do feel like we got kind of gypped there and, and maybe we'll get back to the team at some point, but I do feel like that, that was a misstep. All right. So our next comment comes from Jerry. I'm loving the current Batman run and I hope Bruce Quartz and Mary Selena. I'd love to read stories of step bat mom, Selena integrating into the bat family, trying to stay out of getting into trouble with the sirens, convincing the bat she's trustworthy. I think like Dustin said, Bruce is hearing his father's voice from the button and trying to figure out what it means for a man like him to be truly happy. Embracing that really is Batman at heart and she is Catwoman at heart. And yes, this should be line wide. There are many stories that could be told about how this relationship affects a lot of different characters. Super Sons issues where Damien talks things out with John and maybe spends an arc in Blue Haven with Dick. Siren's miniseries, Batgirl, Batwoman, Stephanie, and Tim when he comes back. Some stories where the new relationship is in the foreground, others where it is just interesting background. Could be good background for Doomsday Clock. Nothing lasts forever, but it could have a year or two of plots come out of it. If this is what they are doing, they would need an exit strategy. We can't have it end with something horrible happening to Selena and Bruce is so very, very sad. Worst case scenario. I'd be disappointed if it turns out to be a tease. Selena says no and Bruce goes back to happily tormenting Penguin. (laughs) I wonder what Bane's up to. I'm so uh, into this. I can't even tell you. You know, the funny thing is, as she's as as you're reading that still, I'm thinking to myself, boy, you know, Ed, you mentioned earlier, what happens if she just says no to this and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter? And I'm just like, you know, I could definitely see something like that happening because it wouldn't be the first time something like that has happened. But that would be extremely frustrating and disappointing at the same time. So, oh, man. I think we all got our hearts set on something. And when typically a bunch of comic fans get their hearts set on something, guess what happens? Yeah. Not that. I feel like she has to have said yes because she was in bed with him. But that's why I was looking for a ring. But it wasn't ostensibly shown or depicted. But the fact that, I mean, you know, you're not going to probably want to spend the night with someone if that person said no to you. We don't know that she said yeah. no yet. It could just be something as simple as he, you know, said, wait, before you say yes, let's talk about this. And she's like, well, in that case, let's go back to my place or whatever, which seems mm-hmm. really strange if she's going to say no, unless of but, course it's like what Ed said, where it's like, it's part of the no, narrative. but it's not really what I, you know, marriage isn't really for me, but I'm okay with, you know, you know, having these little get togethers. Well, let's be honest. I mean, not I mean, some people, probably good people, but um, that's making me sound like a bad person. But I mean, we've some people in this world have 
had relations with people they didn't get married to or didn't particularly think they wanted to get married to. Um, Selena is already shown to be very morally flexible. Um, plus, I think that the, the I think that the, the fly might be in the ointment still. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that Batman doing this whole, let me tell you about the war of jokes and riddles. Let me tell you what I had to do. I think that that could be the catalyst to at least give Selena pause to saying yes. I hope she does. Like, I, I agree with, with most of the writer, people that are writing in. Like, I want to see him get married. And more than that, I want to see it go on for a while. I am totally fine with Batman being married, the status quo, for five years, ten years. I think that the long game of a marriage with Batman is far more interesting than the short game of it. Does that make any sense? The real idea of her having to integrate with Damien and with all these ex-Batman lovers showing up and all the stuff that would happen over the long term, um, including even the possibility of her and Bruce having a child, I think that would be the interesting part. Uh, real quick, before we move on to the main aspect of Ian Prime's comment, Ian Prime chimed in to Gary's comment and replied with, Bane is up to a lot of awesome stuff. You should check out Bane Conquest. I think checks in the mail from uh, Mr. Dixon. Yeah. I agree that seeing Bruce and Selena actually get married would be a really interesting story. I don't – oh, sorry. I want it, but I also don't think DC is serious about it. It's probably yes. going to be like Teen Titans number 100 where uh, the minister will say, you know, I now pronounce you man and, and then the minister will be destroyed. Yes, I can totally see something along those lines, by the way. Uh, I don't, but I definitely agree that I don't think that DC is super serious about, you know, doing something like that. And it goes back to, you know, Stella, you brought that up last issue about, you know, DC saying this uh, was obviously, of course, during New 52, but they were so against the idea of marriage in a lot of mm-hmm. their books. And, you know, Kate and Maggie couldn't be together. And now look at where we are with Kate and Maggie, how Maggie is. Nowhere. Ship back to Metropolis and, and, and <sighs> woman. But we don't see, but she has nothing to do with Kate. And Kate's just kind of like floating out there with no sort of relationship outside of, you know, well, we don't really even see Kate outside of just being that woman nowadays that much. I mean, she has a couple of moments um, in detective comics, dumb. but we don't have any sort of relationships at all with her, which is weird considering there's no reason you can't. I mean, the, you see practically everybody having a relationship with somebody. You have Bruce Wayne having a relationship with Selena. You have Tim uh, Nightwing having a relationship with uh, the Defacer over in the pages of Nightwing. You have yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's her name, but not that's the Panzer. Um, <laughs> you had Tim Drake and Stephanie together. So I mean, like you have a lot of these characters that have had a chance to have a relationship. And I mean, and then just look at Barbara Gordon. I mean, she's been with everybody in Burnside at least twice. So that being said. You know, I would hope that they have, you know, that they have some sort of plans for Batwoman in the future, giving her some sort of relationship and also focusing a little bit more on her personal life. Because I don't think that the idea of having a solo series is only to solely feature that character in their costume at all times. And it just feels like that first story arc in Batwoman has been a lot of that with just small hints of her past and you know her, you know her past relationship with one of the characters that they were dealing with, but while she was still in the mask. So, and if we're gonna have Batman and Catwoman get married, by the way, let's uh, let's do a little Vertigo crossover and have the character Preacher show up and perform the ceremony. Oh my gosh! 
Yeah, I don't see that happening either. All right, <laughs> next up, Ian Prime gives his book long comment, He's just which we're gonna stick in the blood. We're just gonna we're gonna break this up into a couple different points. So uh, go ahead, Stella. Start off with uh, wonderful DK three. Okay, regarding Dark Knight three, I think you are all pretty much spot on. There's distinct branding and scheduling problems with this title, though the final work is at least polished enough in art that it's pretty to look at. However, it feels much too cheerful to me to actually be a Dark Knight Returns book. Frank Miller made a lot of noise in the middle of the series about doing his own sequel to DKR since he felt Azarello was doing more of the driving in DK3. But I agree that the series should have stopped after Dark Knight Returns, especially All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. Smile face emoji. All right, I'm just going to – I'm not going to go too far into that, but I, I definitely agree with that statement, so – I agree with the statement, and I know I've probably said this a million times, but I'm going to say it again. All-Star Batman and Robin is a mess, but the art is absolutely gorgeous. I will agree with that as well. Yeah. All right, moving on. Batman and Catwoman's marriage slash engagement will, I think, completely depend on how well Tom King sells and how much the fans embrace it. I think fan response to the Selena proposal has been overwhelmingly positive, but I hope DC takes that to mean fans are actually interested in making this a long-term thing, like Lois and Clark, rather than another Batwoman-type cancellation of relationship. But this really means we have to ask the question, can a married or even engaged Batman really be DC's plan for the next several years? I have a hard time seeing them being willing to even try it, even though it's what I would like. But I'm buying Detective and not Batman, so I guess I don't really have a say. Smiley faced emoji. All right. Yes, you do. So I will say that you do have a good point because if you're reading the reviews on the site, then you definitely can give a comment and at the very least. But that being said, here, here's the thing, okay? The question of can a married or even engaged Batman really be DC's plan for the next several years? It could be. I mean, I, I, like I said last issue, I would enjoy seeing a story written that has Batman married. You know, if he's engaged for, let's say, the next year, year and a half, and they just milk this out like they have uh you know the initial rebirth story storyline and he's just engaged i mean that's not really milking because engagements obviously they can go on for a long period of time or they can go over a short period of time but they can definitely milk it if they want to and have you know have you know the fiance relationship and and you know maybe selena moves in and you know you see that how that they interact there but i definitely think that if they go the route of like lois and clark I would one, I would want to see that even if it's not long-term, like even if it's something where like they want to do it for a while, but then something happens and I'm not saying I want Selena to die because that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is like something happens where Selena does something morally wrong and Batman just doesn't agree with what she did and they, you know, they get divorced or whatever. I'd be okay with something like that occurring to set it back to, you know, status quo per se, where they're not together. I'd be okay with that as long as they give it a chance of actually being able to give stories from this different, you know, side of Bruce Wayne, you know, this Bruce Wayne who is married because that's never happened. And I would, I wouldn't mind seeing that some of the relationships he's had in the past could have told amazing stories. And actually some of them have been okay stories, but they had to, they had to have a chance to be told to, you know, really appreciate whether or not they would work or not. So I think this could work and I'm hoping that they do give it a shot. Yeah. I, I mean, Cosign. I just, I want this to keep going. All right. So moving on. As for things, not just 
the proposal being wine wide. I completely agree that it's the best course of action, but I don't know if we're going to see a O'Neill slash Dixon slash Grant slash Mensch or Morrison style line wide coordination of the Bat family for a while. Snyder just doesn't play well with other writers enough to make it work, which is why even when DC tried really hard to make everyone play with him, he did stuff like Zero Year, which ate up well over a year of the Batman titles and Super Heavy, which even though I liked it, really disrupted all the other Batman family titles. You need a powerful editorial or writerly voice like O'Neill or Morrison, and then other writers who can make it work. I think for now, we're still in a time when each main Batman title is pretty independent of the others. Detective Batman and All-Star Batman are all theoretically in the same universe, but none of them really talks to the others. Each of these main titles can spin out into other titles like Nightwing. Etc. But we're not in a time when there's one driving voice at the Batman line, I think. I definitely agree with that. I think that the biggest thing is that there's – but I think it, a lot of it has to do with the editor. I mean I think the thing is Snyder w- was selling so well at the beginning of the New 52 that they just – they put a lot of focus on whatever Snyder was doing. And Snyder got a lot of leeway to basically tell whatever stories he wanted to tell. And there really wasn't any like – editorial reigns to say no 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 no, don't do that and it's not necessarily a bad thing i mean i don't want editorial to not be able you know to go back to a writer and say no you cannot tell story because of this but at the same time there has to be limitations you know the fact that so many of the cider stories were crossing over into the other titles and disrupting the ongoing stories happening in the other titles was what the biggest concern that i one of the biggest concerns i had was you know snyder can tell good stories. But when you try to tie in all of these other books to the stories, if if there's no reason to do it other than just to try to get some extra sales for the month, it's, it's pointless. I mean, from a business perspective, fine, it's not pointless, but from a story perspective, it's just disrupting everything that's going on and, and it causes issues. And I can't imagine writers are enjoying doing stuff like that, even though all you ever hear about is, is Snyder saying, well, we just went to all the writers and said, who wants to, you know, do a story that's, that falls in line with what we're doing. And they all, you know, all these writers, they wanted to join in and tell a story, but are they doing it because they're getting extra sales for the month because it's tying into the event or are they doing it because they actually have a story that's worthwhile to tell that's part of that event in whatever way it is. And that's the biggest thing. I feel like sometimes the desire to sell some extra issues outweighs the, is this really worth for the character that I'm working on? So moving on. As for metal, including dark, well-done issue leading to a well-done event, but I really hate events in general, and nothing in this makes it seem like it's going to be significantly different. The only thing I even slightly care about is Zinda, Lady Blackhawk, coming back. Hopefully she rejoins the Birds of Prey as she deserves. I appreciate Dustin's intellectual honesty and appreciating the quality of this episode's detective comics, even if he doesn't care about Asriel. Well done. However, I'm with Stella. I think Azrael is a very interesting character, particularly in the way Tynions used him in, to explore issues of faith and spirituality in the Victim Syndicate and issue number 950. I hope this arc follows up on that. Plus, there's something so ch- charming about the way Azrael gets so bombastic, just like he used to in Nightfall. Know that men call you Defiler! And waving around his burning sword. And that's not a euphemism. You okay. All right. So uh, no comments really on that. Um, I have a couple. Can go I, ahead. Can I say go ahead. Oh, okay. 
I don't normally comment on thingies. So first of all, I totally agree with you about Lady Blackhawk. I think that would be amazing. And she was such a fun member of Birds of Prey uh, back, what is that, volume two, I guess. Um, so it'll be interesting, especially if she joins the the fold of the current background, the Birds of Prey, and how they can merge sort of this new origin with, you know, doing it the rebirth way. So I agree with you there. And as for Azrael, thank you for agreeing with me that, you know, I think He's a pretty interesting character. Just today, I read two issues because Oracle appeared in them. And they're probably one of the, some of the best issues I've ever read of Azrael, number 36 and 37. It's uh, Bane, is it the Angel and Bane or Angel and Bane or Bane and the Angel? And it's a three-part, but I only had two of the three parts. But it was just really well done. And uh, there's some emotional conflict with Batman and going after Bane again, which is the big thing. So I think, you know, it's it's people are making of Azrael what they will. And so, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the character, maybe go out and, and pick up an issue from the past to see like, oh, OK, maybe he's not so bad. But, you know, if you're so hung up on his appearance here, then maybe you shouldn't waste your money. But, it, you know, I think he's pretty interesting. <laughs> you're not sold. <laughs> Man, you guys are and, hard. Yeah. Hard to please. Yeah. All right. So moving on, our next comment comes from Corbin. Hey, guys. It's been a while since I've contributed to the comment section. So with all the talk of Azrael last episode, it got me thinking. I've had an idea for years of a miniseries taking place in the Flashpoint universe and Jason Todd taking up that mantle. With him being a recovered drug addict and a priest in that world, I thought it would create for some interesting opportunities and storytelling with the personal conflict. Of course, he'd have the guns of sin and salvation as opposed to the swords, and you could even blend Ezreal's look with Jason's Arkham Knight look. Would doing that make the Ezreal dynamic more interesting for you guys, or is there nothing that can be done that can save the idea of Ezreal in your mind? Okay, so I will say this. That probably would be an interesting take on Azrael, and I probably would want to look at that. Um, I think the biggest thing is, like I said, and I don't know if I pointed this out or not, but it's not the Azrael character that I'm opposed to. It's the Jean-Paul Valley version of Azrael. The Michael Lane version of Azrael that Grant Morrison did, I actually found that actually pretty good. I didn't find any real major issues with that. I mean, like, you know, I know it ties very heavily into the order of St. Dumas and the Catholic church and things like that. And I don't necessarily follow everything to figure out whether or not what it, what they're talking about and some of the stuff that they're talking about actually makes any sense. But I can, I know that the version of Michael Lane's Azrael was much more interesting to me than the Sean Paul Valley version. Sean Paul Valley was interesting when he came and he took over the mantle of Batman for Bruce Wayne while Bruce Wayne was, was injured but once Bruce Wayne took back the mantle after Jean-Paul went crazy, then that should have been the end of him. There was no reason to have the, you know, him be Azrael as Rotation another. R. Yeah, there was like that. There was none of yeah. that that I needed to see. Like I don't have a problem with Jean-Paul during Nightfall. It's after Nightfall when he goes back to having the red suit. That's when I have a problem with it. So that being said, this, you know, this flashpoint version of Jason, it could be interesting and I would get, definitely give it a shot if they, you know, if they if if a story like that existed. And I, you know, not to say that they couldn't make Jean-Paul Valley interesting again. I don't know how they would do it and I wouldn't say that it's going to be automatically if I see Jean-Paul I'm just going to ignore it for more than one reason, one of them obviously being I run a Batman site and I can't ignore it. The other one being 
I can try, yes, but uh, very unsuccessfully. But the other part, the other aspect of that is like, even if I wasn't going to ignore, you know, even if I could ignore it, I probably wouldn't just for the sake of just trying to see if there's something new that they can do with the character. This character doesn't feel like there's anything new. It just feels like that same, you know, red suited Azrael from the nineties that I didn't really find any desire to see. So that's that's my main problem with Azrael. If yeah. I didn't already go into that last episode. Yeah, agree. Just see see my comments from earlier about Azrael. All right, moving on. On an unrelated note, what comic of any universe or publisher has moved you on an emotional level like no other? My all-time favorite oh, my all-time favorite comic is Vertigo's Day Tripper. I love Day Tripper by Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. That comic changed my outlook on life, and I feel like more people should read it. I absolutely agree with you. By the time I am hearing your response to this, I'll be the proud father of a baby girl, my first, and was wondering if there are any great female-led stories directed at young girls that you would recommend. Obviously, it'll be a while before she will be reading, but I want to get a good start on some comics for her. I know Stella will recommend, and I'm happy to say I own a digital copy and plan on getting a physical copy for her. If there are any other ideas, I'd love to hear them. Thanks. Okay, so first up, congratulations Congrats. to Corbin. Yes, Corbin. Um, I, as we're recording this, I had not heard that his his daughter was born yet. But wishing all the best. Uh, by the time you're hearing this, it could have it could have happened. So, congratulations to Corbin, one way or the other. By the time this is out there in the world, the baby girl will be here. Um, as far as a comic that uh, moved me on an emotional level, I and and I and he I has no emotions. Okay, well, see, it's funny. It's funny you say that because the the reality of it is, like, I have I, I have said multiple times that I don't read a lot of other comics outside of the Batman universe stuff for more than one reason. But the biggest reason is because there's so much stuff that is covered within the Batman universe. It's almost impossible for me to have any other time to read anything else. I mean, if you haven't noticed, the website hasn't had news posted in in months because I barely have time to make sure that all the reviews get posted up on time because we just don't have enough staff for the site to cover everything that we need to. So I don't have the time. That being said, even if I had the time back in the day before I had children, before I had a job that took up an enormous amount of time, more than a normal, you know, 40 hour work week job. um, If before all of that, I still didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to read a whole lot of other comics uh, because at the time when I first started the website and I was first starting um, the podcast and that one of the things I was doing was I was, you know, basically creating my comic book collection of Batman comics. And I was reading the stuff as it was coming in, like nonstop, just stuff was coming in and I was reading it. I can honestly say that even though there hasn't really been anything out there, that's not Batman related that I have distinctly read. One of the Batman comics that I read that really got to me and I really, really, really enjoyed. And I don't know if I would say it's an emotional level, but one of the comics that I thought was by far way better than most of the stuff that we read was the Flashpoint Batman miniseries. It was just three issues because it was unexpected. I had no idea what to what it was going to be. And this, you know, the, the gut punch of Martha being Joker because Bruce died and and Thomas became Batman like that. Was, I mean, uh, anybody out there who hasn't read it, I'm sorry for spoiling it for you, but I mean, it's it has been out old. for yeah, so over now. five years. Yeah. So, I mean, but but that was like, I really, I was blown away by how amazing that, that comic story was written. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of 
you know, it made perfect sense in the, in the larger scheme of things, but, you know, reading, it, I was like, Oh man, I never saw that coming. And it was, it was like a great moment for reading comics for me. So I guess that would be the one that I would suggest, but that's not by any means, I would say, you know, something that, you know, you it would definitely, anybody who's reading is going to get an emotional gut punch or anything like that. Um, so let's answer that question first before we get into the other comments about the comics to suggest for young girls. I would say that there's two for me. I know you said narrow it down to one, but uh, one was uh, for me was V for Vendetta, which was wrote by Alan Moore. Alan Moore did go crazy later in life. Um, but when he was writing stuff like V for Vendetta and Watchmen, they were seminal comic books. V for Vendetta, I read at a younger age when I still hadn't decided my own personal politics and helped shape me politically as I got older more than I even realized that it had at a young age when I read it. Uh, and then the second one is is a movie that probably everyone saw, but I'm actually referring to the comic book. It's called The Crow by James O'Barr. It's in a very emotional comic because you realize um, in the forward, most of the collected issues, you'll find it. One is black and white, but James O'Barr writes this story about, and it's from personal a place where his wife was killed by a drunk driver. And he writes this story in real life, his wife was. And he writes this story in the middle of his, his terrible depression about, this man whose wife that died and what he wants to do to the people that, that killed her. Uh, it's a very personal and very touching story. Um, it is uh, hyper-violent. Uh, they made a pretty good movie out of it, but um, both of those were probably what I would say more emotional stories for me. Uh, single issue wise back girl. I'm sorry. Birds of prey. Number eight of the run, which you will be hard pressed to find in a physical copy. It's worth a lot of money. Um, and whoo, it's, there are words, but I feel like it's predominantly silent. Uh, but it's basically Dick Grayson takes Barbara Gordon to the circus and, uh, puts her up on, on the trapeze and it's, you know, it's almost like she can walk again, but it's a very romantic and emotional. I mean, whoo, shipper heavy, man, but it, it's just really well done. And there's an issue in No Man's Land, which I, I'm not going to be able to tell you which one it is. When I redo it, I'll be like, this is the one I was talking about. But this one actually is all silent. And it's after all the events that have, this is probably in the fourth trade, I think, but, or maybe not, but Batman comes back. And Jim basically feels betrayed because Batman has gone and they're just like standing there in Jim's backyard and like nothing. It's just like tension and whew, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, as for like graphic novels, I think that I would uh, recommend. I really like Persepolis which is by Marjan Satrapi and it's a memoir and it's basically her time in the Islamic revolution as well as the Iran Iraqi war. And there are two parts. So the first one, I, I like that one one just because uh she's younger and i think she has a it's interesting to see from a child's perspective what what's going on there but i actually dove into that i mean not to plug my own podcast but if you're wanting to just know more about it i recently did that on a literature podcast that i do called required reading with tom and still and uh, so i i just look uh look to that but i have i think the emotional ones are i guess they're 
hard, harder for me to pick than your second question. So that's the one I'm looking forward to most answering. All right. So the question, the second question was books to suggest for young girls. Now I have a daughter who is currently two. She's going to turn three in August. And one of the things that I've gotten her into, and, and it's not to say that there aren't other things out there, but one of the things that I've started to get her into was uh, the DC superhero girls. And it's not necessarily specifically because of the comics by any means, but uh, the animated shorts, the movies that they come out, she really enjoys those. And it's a nice little point to just get them introduced to the stuff. It, for the longest time, there was tons of stuff related to, you know, that was more geared towards the boys side of things that, you know, boys could pick up on. My son was watching Teen Titans and Justice League Unlimited, you know, on Netflix when he was like two or three, you know, th- two or three years old and binge watching it because while I worked and things like that. But there's there's not as much that's geared towards girls. And my even though my daughter has watched uh, Justice League Unlimited and uh, The Batman, one of the things that she really enjoys is DC Superhero Girls. So I, as soon as I saw that she was jumping on that, I immediately started getting the DC Superhero Girl action figures, not dolls, because I don't buy dolls, but uh, action figures you will. and and uh, things like that. So that's one of the things that I, I've gotten into. And, and it, specifically, you know, it's nice because they do have, you know, these graphic novels that they, they release that feature – you know, these longer story arcs and even my son who's six years old, some of the stuff like he, you know, he play he's played the, you know, Arkham Knight and things like that. And he enjoys it. But when it comes to comics, those aren't super easy to read. So he picks up, you know, Teen Titans Go or there's um, Tiny Titans, which I really like. And Tiny Titans is geared either boys or girls. That's all, you know, everybody basically. Um, but Tiny Titans is really good. Um, so that's the things I would suggest for a young girl. Um, I can't speak necessarily towards other things out there. Batgirl Year One, which Stella obviously will recommend. Um, I also really enjoy as well. Specifically, if you're just looking, and I know you're looking long-term for a lot of different stuff, but I'll stick to the lower ages and say the DC Superhero Girls stuff and Tiny Titans. Um, I believe there was also... um, there was one recent. There was something recently with Superman Family Adventures or something like that, mm-hmm. done by the same guys who did uh, Tiny Titans, Art and Franco, and uh, they they did that. And I think Supergirl was a huge part of that series as well. But I I haven't read that. So uh, a guy who has a daughter who's fourteen, I can give you. She started off younger stuff. Um, she liked the so there's in their in trade now. Batman the animated series tie-ins that they published. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. are really good when they're younger. Uh, the other one uh, that my daughter liked was uh, Dustin Wynn's Little Gotham. Uh, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, th- that's and that's fun. That's on all ages. I mean, kids can read it, but I haven't had fun reading that. That was a good one. But she got a little bit older, um, 11, 10, 11, 12, 13, started reading a little bit more. She really got into the Supergirl run um, the from Peter David and the Rucka mm, stuff. Yeah. Um, which was, I think that when you start having a, a girl who, who starts hitting that nine, ten, eleven, and they can read level, the Peter David Supergirl run is a really good run, and so is Rucka's run. And then she got into the Teen Titans run by Jeff Johns, which is good, more mature, not nothing bad for a, a young girl to read, but definitely a little more mature. Uh, but that's Johns's Titans run, and now her favorite stuff to read is Wonder Woman, especially the stuff by Azarello and Chang. So that's kind of the ones that she went. I think they're all pretty good for a young girl to read. Yeah, I would just be careful with the girl one that, I mean, the first trade especially is 
a little dark because of like the Satanism and like the sacrificing and you know the merging. Yeah, some- yeah. so I would just say like be careful. Of that. It, yeah. I, I wholeheartedly because I've been reading that by the trade because they've just started reissuing the trades. It's good. good. It's really good. It it really is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I absolutely would, of course, say bigger your one. That's my little uh, my what, what is that? My little horn that I will continue to toot. Um, the horn Ian of Gondor. Is gonna, I, well, oh yeah. Uh, Ian is going to say something that I would also recommend, which is Brian Q. Miller's Stephanie Brown backroll run, which I think is Good. great. Um, over at Marvel, I'm actually I, I don't know if you what on earth I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a big Spider-Man fan. And some of my favorite, well, I love reading, you know, the actual amazing Spider-Man comics. Something that I think is just an amazing story, an amazing series is Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. And it was an all ages series. There was a mini series, uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, or I think it was just Mary Jane Homecoming. And then it had um, a series, I think for maybe like 20 or so issues. And then it had uh, a season two that didn't last as long, but it basically follows the characters in high school. And Mary Jane actually is the main character. Spider-Man pops up occasionally, but you have like Liz Allen and Flash and Harry and Peter Parker. And Mary Jane is, you know, I think true to her comic counterpart, her, you know, her adult comic counterpart. She pretends to be sort of girl who has everything, you know, the girl as the life of the party. But deep down, she she has like real struggles and real issues. I think that um, girls in middle school and high school actually have like um, self-esteem issues. And, and, you know, are these people just liking me because they think I'm popular? Do they actually care for me? And it's just really beautifully done. And I, I saw so I always recommend that to my spider-man friends but dustin doesn't really like the word marvel so i don't try to talk about it as much i also recommend over at boom studios lumberjanes yeah that would be good that would be really good yeah yeah, i mean i currently read that now it's it's amazing it it can it's for younger audiences because there are like super crazy things that go on but i think it's also for uh, adult people as well and it's in the same vein as gotham academy which is why i think those two titles really Crossover over well, yeah. yeah, yeah. They had that that miniseries. Uh, I just pre-ordered a new story that's called Surf Girls. I'm not sure about it yet because I haven't gotten it yet, but it seemed interesting, um, and I think that is also all ages. And then there's one. I guess this is a graphic novel. It's called, and I've only had Rust Book One, um, but it's sort of a. It seems like it's in a weird time period, like maybe in the Great Depression. But basically, this like alien robot comes down. Um, but you don't really know what what what's this robot about, and um, so that's that's also great. But I think there are uh, many just wonderful things, not only in. I feel like DC doesn't do as much. I mean, they have Tiny Titans. I think Super Sons would certainly be all age. <clears throat> sorry, all ages, though maybe not as catered to girls. You've got the DC superhero girls, Teeny Titans. I feel like we haven't seen much anymore, and then you did have that. But Marvel, I mean, same thing kind of stuff. But I know there's like Scooby-Doo, Team Up. Um, that's always good. And uh, any of the trades, I think, that come out that are based off of maybe like the television shows work out well. Those are things that I get for my 
uh, 12-year-old nephew, and he really enjoys that. So there's a lot out there, but I certainly, I think the top two or three that I would say is Becker Year One, um, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, and Lumberjanes would be those three. Another one I'll throw in just for really super quick, too, is the Princess Leia miniseries that was collected into um, if, if your kid, if your girl ends up like in Star Wars. Um, the Marvel, the recent Marvel Star Wars stuff is there is um, a Princess Leia store that's collected, which is which is really good for for younger girls, I think, too. <laughs> so that is all of our comments for this episode. I want to remind you to leave your comments on the podcast post. We had a bunch of comments this time around. So so head over to the website underneath the podcast post on the website. You'll see an ex- a section that will allow you to leave your comment. When you leave your comments, you can then hear it on the next podcast. So with that, also be sure to support us on Patreon. Currently, we are more than halfway funded to our $150 goal. Um, Stella, uh, just please remind everybody what is happening in July for those of us, for those of those people who are supporting us on Patreon. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the month of July, if you and just for this month only, unless you want to continually contribute, if you are a 25 level Patreon subscriber, you will be entered to win a Backroll to Oracle original T-shirt that I will be debuting at San Diego Comic-Con. And so there'll be a nice little you know, randomizer, I guess, using technology. And then all I will need is, of course, your address and your shirt size. So good luck to you. But yeah, just subscribe now from July 1st to July 31st, and you'll be entered to win. Yeah, and that's at the $25 level. So if you are currently supporting us at a different level and you would like to increase for just the month of July so that you can be entered into the drawing, you can certainly just do that. You just need to make sure that you are at that $25 level by the end of July. So July 31st, you have to be in that level in order to be qualified for the drawing for that shirt. Yes, Be sure to do that. Um, Even if you are not interested in donating at the $25 level, obviously we have lower levels as well that we obviously would love to have you help us out in those lower funds. We have, uh, we have tiers as low as $1. Um, We also have, if you do not want to donate on Patreon for whatever reason, and you feel like just a one-time donation is what you'd like to do, you can definitely just hit the PayPal button on the homepage of the website and just leave a one-time donation directly to us through PayPal. Um, using PayPal, you can obviously use your credit cards or bank account or whatever securely. So you can do that that way. Um, outside of that, if you are interested in helping us out in any way, shape or form, as I mentioned earlier, I am in desperate need of news article writers. So if you are out there and you are interested in potentially writing news articles, that's what I'm in great, great need for. Um, we will also be looking for more comic reviewers because all of these Batman metal one shots that are popping up in September, October, and November. That's a lot of one shots to just thrust onto our normal group of reviewers. So if you are interested in reviewing comics, there's obviously other things um, coming out very soon. Nightwing, the new order is, is one of the series that's coming up soon. And there's always new stuff that's coming out or having to be covered. So if you're interested in it all in any of that, or if you have any desire in helping us out with any of the following skills audio editing, video editing, graphic design, web developing, 
or website design, you can certainly get in touch with me at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net for any of those uh, positions or if you're interested in writing articles or editorials or anything like that, get in contact with me and we will work out something so that we can get you helping out TBU. In addition to that, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. In addition to that, you can leave us reviews and iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group for all the latest news as well as discussion from the Batman universe. And outside of that, you can also, obviously, as I mentioned before, leave comments on the podcast post for us for us to talk about on the next episode. So with that being said, we will be back here in two weeks. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. Ah. And this is Artemis. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Hey.